Welcome to Group Talk. Four shows, one podcast from the Small Group Network focusing on topics relevant to small group ministries. Whether you're in a church of 100 or 10,000, whether you're a volunteer or staff, we want to support, encourage, and equip you to lead well. So relax, listen, and enjoy Leadership Journey with Bill Search. Hey, this is Bill Search. I'm your host of the Leadership Journey, and thanks for joining me again. Today, we're going to talk about the Ten Commandments, the Ten Rules of Spiritual Leadership, or another way of calling spiritual leadership is spiritual authority. Now, these are different than just general leadership or general authority. This is when we layer on literally the term spiritual. This takes on a whole different tone. And depending on the tradition you've grown up in, you might have heard of spiritual authority. Maybe you have a minister or some spiritual leader who has leaned into that term. And uh, sometimes, depending on your experience with it and your memory of it, it might be really good. You might be grateful for those that God has put in spiritual authority above you. You might also have some people that claim spiritual authority, and you got to know them, and you're like, well, it might be spiritual authority, but I'm not sure it's spiritual authority from God. But a lot of times, uh, it's a new concept, and particularly when it's, well, us, when we're the ones that are called to be in spiritual authority. And you're probably listening to this because you're some kind of a leader in a spiritual enterprise of some kind. You might be a pastor, you might be a small group leader, a teacher in a class, who knows? You know. You know what you have the responsibility for. And so um, hopefully as you're listening to this, it doesn't make you cringe, but it makes you curious. And I say cringe because sometimes when it comes to things like leadership or when it comes to things like authority, people literally cringe because they're almost terrified of their own possible abuse of leadership. And that's why going into some good sources and exploring not just what I think or what you think or what our friends think of a situation, but really leaning deep into those who've tread this ground before, people who know a thing or two about leadership. And if you've been listening to the leadership journey in any sort of sequence, you know that I have been looking back at a textbook from my graduate school years that I I found helpful then. And I now after 25 years of ministry experience, I I can say this is a really good book. And what I read all those years ago rings true now that I've moved into veteran minister status. And so in his book, uh, what what Robert Clinton does, or Bobby Clinton to his friends, what he did is he had uh, he had a great fascination with Watchman Nee, who was a, a evangelist and minister in China, and uh, and so he in his reflections on Watchman Nee came up with ten commandments of spiritual authority. So these were inspired by Nee from Clinton's pen. Now coming through my voice. All right. So there it is. I'm not claiming it. I'm just reading it. So here we go. We're going to look through these 10 different rules for spiritual leadership or spiritual authority, whichever term you prefer. Rule number one, one who learns spiritual authority as the power base for ministry must recognize the essential source, sources, capitalized, of all authority. 
And who's the source of all authority? God. In other words, the source of our spiritual authority, our spiritual leadership, isn't us. It isn't incredible devotional habits, but it's God. It's been entrusted by God to us. We are the stewards of the spiritual authority. We are not the spiritual authority. I got that clear. If you're a leader and you are in a spiritual leadership capacity, which places you in a spiritual authority, you are not the authority. Okay, God is. Now, I love that he started there. That is so true. You ever worked with somebody who thought they were the authority? That somehow they were literally God's gift? Now, there are some people that I thought, you know, they are really God's gift. I love the writings of John Stott, God rest his soul. He went to heaven many years ago, but John Stott was a gift from God to us. If, you, um, if you've ever read any of his books, you know what I'm talking about. If you've ever leaned into any of his commentaries, you know what I'm talking about. He was a gift. But we, we practice an authority that comes from God as the source. And if Stott was alive today, he would say exactly that same thing. I'm not the authority. God's the authority. Okay. Number two, God's delegated authority does not belong to the person exercising it. That person is just a channel. I'm a channel. You're a channel. We're stewards. We're, we're a conduit of the authority. We are not the authority. This is really important for us to understand. If we get this clear in our mind, it will go better for us and it'll go better for others. It makes me think of what the Apostle Paul said when he was talking to some friends in the church in Corinth, and they were they were uh, they were becoming very uh, uh, celebrity driven. Maybe we could use that term. And some were like, "I'm on Team Paul," and others were saying, "I'm on Team Apollos." And yet, Paul says, "Look, who cares? Uh, I did my part. Apollos did his part. But it's the Holy Spirit that makes people grow." And so to be clear in our own minds that we're the channel, we're not the authority. Number three, the channel of delegated authority is responsible to God for how that authority is exercised. Now you catch that? We're not um, responsible for God, but to God. So if you're in a position of spiritual leadership, spiritual authority, you are responsible to God how you exercise that authority. You will be held accountable for that. I will be held accountable for that. I think that's why James warns and he says, hey, not many of you should want to become teachers, you know, because every time you open up your mouth, you are opening up yourself for all kinds of self-judgment later. And so what uh, what Clinton does here is he identifies that, that, that we have a responsibility to God how we do our job. And that should sober us up. That should keep us uh, vigilant and thoughtful. There's a lot of examples of uh, pastors behaving badly. And uh, I don't even name, need to name names. In fact, if, if you're listening to this in 10 years, I'm recording this in 2021, but let's say somehow this is still out there. And in 2031, you're listening to this. There will be different names of ministers behaving badly. Our goal is to remind ourselves. Our goal is to honor God in how we do what we do. And so therefore, as we lead, we have to remember who we're responsible to. Okay, that's number three. Number four, a leader is one who recognizes God's authority manifests 
in real life situations. In other words, um, I think what he's getting at here is that this is not uh, theoretical, this isn't just theological, this isn't just some cool Bible verses, but this is actual life stuff. That when God calls us to express spiritual leadership, he calls us to do so in real life situations, in real classrooms, in real small groups, in real churches, with real friends, in real situations. We have a job to do. That's number four. Number five, subject Subjection to authority means that a person is subject to God himself and not to the channel through which the authority comes. All right, so let me explain what he means by that, in case you missed it. You ready? That means that if somebody doesn't like what I have to say, and I am obeying God by saying what God has called me to say, it's like the prophet Jeremiah, he says, you know, this is in chapter 20 of Jeremiah, you can check it out, it's a pretty good, pretty good chapter. Jeremiah says, you know, People make fun of me behind my back, and part of me wants to just keep my mouth shut, but if I keep my mouth shut, the fire burns in my heart. The fire burns in my bones. And so Jeremiah's like, I'll tell them, trouble's coming, even though they make jokes about me. And so what what Jeremiah understood is, hey, the people may make fun of me, the messenger, but I'm just the channel. Uh, God help them, literally, because all I'm doing is conveying the message that I've been taught to convey. And it's up to them to obey the message, not obey me. So Jeremiah wasn't saying, hey, obey me because I'm a prophet. You know, what he was saying is, I am just conveying a message from the Lord. And sometimes we're the messengers. Sometimes we have just a, a job to facilitate a process in a person's life. But if they don't like it, it isn't us. We are, our authority is not being questioned. It's actually God's authority that's being questioned. Now, be careful there. So, like, if you tell someone, hey, I think you ought to do this, and they're like, I don't think I ought to do that, better not put words in God's mouth, okay? So just be real thoughtful. Don't be like, well, okay, well, good luck with that, because God told me to tell you, and you're now disobedient. Careful there, okay? Hopefully that made sense. Number six, rebellion against authority means that a person is not subjecting himself to God. Though it may appear that person is rejecting some impure manifestation of God's authority through a human channel. In other words, um, sometimes, if I understand what he's getting at here, he's saying that, hey, sometimes uh, the messenger, sometimes the channel is a little polluted. But uh, our job isn't to, um, if we're on the receiving end, is to be very careful how we criticize the messenger. We should be listening for the message. This is um, what I think of as the the Balaam's donkey factor. You know, if you know the story, it's one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament, mainly because the donkey talks. You might think, um, I actually don't think the donkey talked. It was just symbolic or that was a neat story, but it wasn't real. I really think the donkey talked. You know, I mean, if God can create the world, he can make a donkey somehow grow vocal cords temporarily and express himself. I personally would have liked to have seen it. As a kid, I grew up watching a couple of reruns of... of uh, uh, Mr. Ed, I think it was Mr. Ed. It was a talking horse. Uh, anyhow, the horse could talk, and his name was Ed, which drove my dad nuts because my dad's name is Ed, and he didn't like a talking horse with his name. But anyhow, I digress. But anyhow, uh, in the story, Balaam is disobeying God, and uh, God gives the donkey permission to talk back at Balaam because Balaam's beating the donkey. And Balaam, when the donkey starts talking, he just sort of interacts with the donkey, like, why are you doing that? 
And uh, I think this story is really funny because I have had pets, dogs, cats. Uh, I even worked a, su- a few summers as a wrangler at a kid's camp. I was a horsemanship instructor for elementary school kids, taught little kids how to ride horses. It was kind of a fun job. But I'm telling you what, if 10 o'clock at night, if I was feeding the horse and the horse was like, hey, Bill, thanks, this is really good food. I wouldn't be like, well, I'm glad you like your oats. I would, after picking myself up off the floor, uh, run as hard and fast as I could away from the talking horse. Now, today I might pull out my iPhone and make a video so I can, you know, you know, become YouTube famous with my talking horse. But anyhow, again, I digress. But um, you, you, even if the donkey, even if the donkey tells you something, that you don't tell yourself, what's this a donkey talking? By the way, the King James calls the donkey an ass. Now, I'm not swearing because you might take it the wrong way, but that is what the King James says. It was Balaam's ass. So there you go. If your ass tells you something, you better listen. So again, I'm not cussing. I'm just using the King James. Okay. That's just a little moment for you King James folks. All right, so that was number seven. That was number six, sorry. Number seven, people who are under God's authority look for and recognize spiritual authority and willingly place themselves under it. I find that interesting. Now, if you're listening to this and you're from the United States or Australia, you you might not like the idea of being under anyone's authority because um, I know a lot about being a U.S. citizen because that's what I am. And uh, you might not know it, but the United States uh, national motto is called, is, 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 uh, it's a new motto, but it's been around for a long time. And the motto is, you can't tell me what to do. And I live in Oklahoma. It is our state motto. It's on our flag and then on our license plates. And it says, you can't tell me what to do. Now, you can't really see it. It's not like sewn on the flag. But every time you fly the Oklahoma state flag, it really screams, don't you dare tell me what to do. But that's like a U.S. thing. And I don't know a lot about Australia, but my Australian friends seem to be a little too American at times. There's a little too much like you can tell me what to do. And yet the people of God look for opportunities to when um, in the right setting to place themselves under spiritual authority. Now, I find that fascinating because it's so countercultural to me. Now, if you're listening to this uh, from another nation, where you have more of a, a custom of greater good, what the people need, putting your own interests aside for the good of others. I'm jealous. I don't even know what that feels like because our culture here in the United States is very, very um, uh, independently minded. You know, we actually celebrate Independence Day, which is the day we told Britain, thank you for helping us win that war 10 years prior. We're not going to pay for it. Now get off our land, it's ours. And uh, anyhow, if you don't know what that's about, look up your history books. It's really interesting. Hey, Small Group Network family, Jason Banzoff here, interrupting Bill and Leadership Journey to talk to you about my favorite time of the year. And no, it's not Thanksgiving, it's not Christmas, but it's the Lobby Gathering. Our Lobby Gathering is back, and join us February 22nd through the 24th, located at Saddleback Church's stunning Rancho Capistrano Retreat Center. The Lobby Gathering is an out-of-the-box small group networking event where we create environments for small group point people to relax, connect together, and casual conversation about small group ministry, much like they would in a church lobby over a cup of coffee. Now, whether you're a beginner or a veteran small group point person, you will have an equal voice in each circle of conversation. You will also get to hear and learn from the brightest small group minds in the country. 
and around the world. Make sure you visit smallgroupnetwork.com forward slash conferences to sign up today. Again, that's smallgroupnetwork.com forward slash conferences. You're going to be so glad that you did. And now back to Leadership Journey. Number eight. Number eight. Spiritual authority is never exercised for one's own benefit, but for those under it. In other words, um, if you're a spiritual leader, you're a small group leader. That is not a privilege post for you to enjoy. That is a privilege post for you to serve. That is a great opportunity for you to pour yourself out into others. That's what it's for. Now, that means also sometimes we find ourselves under the spiritual authority of those who do seem to view it as an opportunity for privilege. And this goes back up to number six, which is be careful about rebelling against somebody like that even if they're selfish and vain and petty, because sometimes God puts or allows a vain, selfish, petty person to be in a position of authority, but we still have to listen to the message that God has for us in that. And be careful with that. I'm not, what I'm not saying is, is purposely find yourself under vain and petty and shallow and self-centered people. I don't mean it that way. What I mean is, is that, uh, that true spiritual authority of its most integritous variation is going to be one where people who are exercising it understand, hey, this isn't for me. This is, this is a service to others. Okay, that's number eight. Number nine, a person in spiritual authority does not have to listen. Does, excuse me. A person in spiritual authority does not have to insist on obedience. That is the moral responsibility of the follower. So, in, in other words, this is liberating. I find this so liberty, liberating. You're in a position of spiritual leadership. You don't have to say, look, this is what God would have us do. Now do it. Kind of like a parent does with a three-year-old in Target. Okay. You don't have to insist on obedience if you're inclined to do that. That's the responsibility of the follower. So if you're a leader and God's placed you in spiritual authority, you have a job to do. Your job is to do what God calls you to do. Um, he, he, he's to, you're, you're to do what God, uh, or say what God calls you to say. I, I love the prophet Jeremiah. He's really one of my favorite heroes of the old Testament. And in the first chapter, Jeremiah is like, he had apparently insinuates to God, he's too young because God responds. Don't do not say you're too young. You're going to go where I tell you to go. And you're going to say what I tell you to say. And, uh, it's a little tough there on poor Jeremiah, but, but what, what Jeremiah 1 is conveying there, what God's conveying to Jeremiah is, look, your job is to do your job. Their job is to do their job. So here, this is where it's really good news. You're leading a small group and um, you're, you're, trying to, you're trying to lead a process to help people in your small group grow. You're doing this through um, maybe a Bible study where you talk about the Bible. You read a passage of scripture and you discuss it and you apply it. Maybe, maybe you do it through... Um, sermon uh, follow-up questions that are written based upon your weekend message and you hear the sermon and then you get to group and you revisit some of the themes and some of the biblical texts and you talk about those things. Whatever it is you do, however it is in your group that you're actually trying to move people through some sort of spiritually informative forming process, whatever you do there, your job is to facilitate that process. Your job isn't to get everybody in that group to obey 
what has been talked about in the group. And I find that liberating. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't have corrective words. That doesn't mean we don't even sometimes have confrontive words. It just means that at, at the end of that, I'm responsible for me and you are responsible for you. Or I'm responsible for me as a small group leader and my small group members are responsible for themselves. So I have a responsibility to God. I'm going to be accountable to him. And I have a responsibility to the people in my group. I have to do the thing that God has called me to do. Say the thing that God's called me to say. Lead the process God's called me to lead. But I am also freed up from having to fix them. Right? Hope that's helpful. I find it helpful. Finally, number 10. God is responsible to defend spiritual authority. So here, here's here the, this is again very encouraging is if I find myself in a position where I, I, I get my legs swept out from under me by other people, God's placed me in a role of spiritual responsibility. I'm doing my part and something happens and I get, I get hit in the side. It, rather than becoming angry about that, rather than, rather than becoming reactionary or defensive of my position or, or uh, trying to prove something to other people, I'm, I'm free from that because God has his response. His responsibility is to defend. And if he doesn't want to defend it in a particular way, that's up to him. In fact, uh, you know, sometimes he's going to have disagreements with how I would defend. I don't know about you, but I have found myself many a times thinking that God probably should just send a lightning bolt. I don't mean metaphorically. I'm like, oh, it would be awesome in that moment to have a lightning bolt. And I, I should be grateful that he doesn't because I'm probably going to be on the receiving end of many a lightning bolt. In fact, uh, one of my friends uh, years ago, he's like, yeah, if, if you know uh, it was, he was getting baptized and I was baptizing him and he was like, well, if, uh, if this thing doesn't get hit with a lightning bolt, then, uh, I'm not sure about this. And I said, that's Zeus. That's not God. God doesn't send lightning bolts, but sometimes I wish he would, but God's responsible to defend spiritual authority. And he's going to do it in the way he wants to do that in the time frame he wants to do it. And that's actually quite good because sometimes he gives room for redemption in ways I wouldn't. And then I'm glad he did. I'm glad for his patience with me. And I'm really glad for his patience with other people. All right. So um, Clinton goes on, and I, I want to kind of just wrap us up with this. He has these, um, he has this kind of coaching. As a leader learns these lessons through the authority, uh, you know, basically, if they, as they learn these, these lessons, there's a typical pattern for a leader to step into spiritual leadership. And what was interesting, and when I revisited this, I thought, this is true in my life, and I've seen this in other people as well. He basically says, look, this is how a spiritual leader begins to practice spiritual authority. The first thing is that uh, there's negative lessons of authority. Did you become a leader? I just think about this. Did you become a leader partly because you were frustrated at other leaders who weren't leading? Or uh, you stepped into leadership because you complained publicly about how somebody else either wasn't leading or was leading poorly. And someone's like, well, I dare you to do it. 
or I've been waiting for you to speak up. I want you to have a hand in this. But you see something negative, leadership that's been poorly done, inappropriately done, and you want to deal with it. Um, Number two, he says the second phase is a search for understanding of legitimate authority. And I'll bet you, I'll bet you, if you reflect on your own life, the first thing is you went and saw some stuff you didn't think was right. But then you began to explore, you began to read, you began to search the internet, you began to network with people, talk with people about how it should be done, how it could be done. You became curious, you went on a quest to find this. And then uh, third phase is a desire to model legitimate authority. You want to be what other people weren't. I don't know many leaders that set out to be corrupt leaders. But when they see either lazy leaders or corrupt leaders or, or just a negligent in some way, and then they go, you know, how could this be done? And then the third thing is, I am not going to be lazy or negligent or corrupt. I am going to be a different kind of leader. And that leads to the fourth phase, which is you start to reflect on what you're doing. And there's insights about spiritual authority. You begin to realize the burden a spiritual authority. Maybe there's a humbling moment. There's sometimes I, I had this happen to me where I was critical of a of a spiritual leader in a in a pretty shallow way. To be honest, I wasn't. The person was uh, not sinful. They were. They just led different than I thought they ought to lead. And then I found myself in a position of spiritual leadership, and I went back, circled back, and apologized to the person. They didn't even know I was internally critical of them. They were quite um, uh, amused that I had. I had thought kind of negatively about it. And uh, it was kind of a funny conversation because like, I didn't know you didn't think I was a great leader. Wow. Okay. But now that you've said it, uh, I'm gratified to know you realize how hard it is. And actually we had a, a, a deeper friendship that emerged out of that because I realized I was just being critical. So that might happen. You might realize, boy, I need to be more humble in all of it. And then finally, what Clinton says is that there's an increasing use of spiritual authority as a source of power. That what happens over time is that uh, you begin to uh, generate. You become kind of a, a generator, I suppose. Not, not. Um, I don't mean that in a very human way. But I mean that what happens is you, you begin to use spiritual authority as it ought to be used. And you enjoy the proper use of it. Like a, like a well-ordered river that has a fast-moving current is a beautiful sight to behold. I don't think rivers have emotions or feelings, but if they did, they would say, today's a good day to be a river because the stuff is just moving as it should. It is not overflowing its banks, and it's not a drought either. It's just right. And so as you begin to use spiritual authority in just the right way, in just the right occasion, it blesses everybody, including yourself. And so um, it, it, wrapping this idea up here, you are listening to this because it, no doubt in my mind, God's put a, a quest in you. Maybe you're in Clinton's terminology. Maybe you're just on the quest right now to find out what legitimate spiritual leadership should look like. And so maybe you're in that, that second phase or the third phase of you're just beginning to sort of use it and try it out wherever you're at. Um, I hope that something resonated with you in this. And so I would love to hear from you. I would love uh, in the small group, 
uh, network, uh, Facebook group. I would love to interact with you in the chat feature. I'd love for you to uh, drop a comment on any of our social media uh, situations where this is put, just so that you you can share back uh, what it was that stuck out for you. What did you? What was your takeaway in all of this? I, I will just share you, with you mine, and it's just this great comfort that as a steward, then it's up to. I don't have to defend the role I play. I just have to do it. And then if something, somebody isn't appreciative, I I can have a clean conscience about that because that's then between them and the Lord in all of this. And so my friend, I hope this is uh, something in here has been helpful to you as we learn together, as we journey together in this big old topic on leadership. Have a blessed day. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you for listening to Group Talk. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast through iTunes and get new episodes downloaded automatically. Also, if you enjoy this program, please take a few minutes to give us a positive rating on iTunes so that other small group point people can find us more easily. We encourage you to visit our website, smallgroupnetwork.com, to access our library of free resources, connect to a huddle with other small group ministry leaders in your area, read our blog articles, or join us on our Facebook group. Don't forget to use the hashtag SGNet when engaging with your social media channels. Thank you for your support.